Hey listeners, Dennis Wisco here. This is a two-part episode where I want to introduce to you economic theory and apply it to Assembly Bill 5, the California at-base drivers initiative, which will be on the November ballot, all of that. I want to apply economic theory to that independent contractor status. And so in this particular episode, you will get a breakdown and introduction to how classical economists would view Assembly Bill 5. In part two, you will hear how Keynesian economists view Assembly Bill 5. So stay tuned for this part one episode. And very quickly, I just want to thank my media partners, Automotive Mastermind, Comotion Miami, and Thought Leadership Summit. Thank you for your support of Wisco Weekly. Now, let's get into the show. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Mabuhai, bienvenidos, vitae, willkommen, and welcome to Wisco Weekly. Listeners, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dennis Wisco. And on today's episode, I want to break down for you two sides of the economic argument of Assembly Bill 5. Assembly Bill 5 is the initiative that will regulate Uh, the gig economy and specifically the app-based economy, your Ubers, your Lyfts, your DoorDashes of the worlds. And I don't want to be, you know, in an effort to not be partisan, I want to demonstrate, again, two sides of Assembly Bill 5, one from the perspective of a classical economist And the classical economic theory, you can say, will be derived from more Austrian school of economics. And on the other side of the equation will be from the general theory of economics, which general theory of economics is a phrase coined by John Maynard Keynes, or maybe more aptly known, Keynesian economics. So this will be a two-part episode. This first part, we're going to first explore the classical theory of classical economic theory of Assembly Bill 5. If you get the chance, though, be sure you do visit WiscoWeeklyPod.com and you can download a guide that I wrote with regards to increasing your pay rate. If you visit WiscoWeeklyPod.com slash increasing your pay rate, you will be able to download the book. Uh, it's it's actually a very short book, but one of the things that I've been speaking about is because of the amount of money that has been circulating in the economy as a result of the first set of stimulus packages, and right now it looks like we're on par or we're on pace to get another round of stimulus packages. So because there will be an increase of money uh, of the money supply, therefore, that means that the purchasing power of the current money we have is going to go down. So it just makes sense that if you can do it now, and this is completely antithetical to what you may want to do or what you may think could happen because jobs are being lost, because budgets are being cut. So you're like, Dennis, why the hell would I try to increase my rate right now? Well, 
download that book, download that guide, and I make a case for why you should look to start increasing your pay rate. Okay, let's first off, let's look at the history of a independent contractor. So the specific status, tax status of an independent contractor, according to the IRS, is known as a 1099 worker. Uh, this 1099 classification actually started back in 1918. And what's interesting about this as a side note is at the moment, I'm actually very enthralled by the early 20th century. Uh, I'm reading a few books and have read already a couple books that deal with what was going on during the Depression, Prohibition, the stock market crash, all those things that were going on in the early 1900s. And so this is very interesting uh, to now talk about 1099 and an independent contractor, knowing the fact that this started back in 1918. So as a 1099 worker, specifically according to the IRS, most people who are a 1099 worker classify themselves specifically as a 1099-MISC or miscellaneous income. So when you file your taxes, you're usually filing a 1099-MISC as your additional income that you are making. Now, again, a 1099 is not is an independent contractor and not an employee. And that's one of the reasons why you have this type of classification, so that if you are an employee, then you're still able to earn income from outside sources, and that income has to be taxed, and you are taxed as a 1099 miscellaneous income, or that is taxed as 1099 miscellaneous income. As a 1099 or as an independent contractor, let's let me let me read here from Wikipedia the difference between an independent contractor and an employee. And this is basic knowledge here, but let me just set the stage. The distinction between independent contractor and an employee is an important one in the United States as the costs for business owners to maintain employees are significantly higher than the costs associated with hiring independent contractors due to federal and state requirements for employers to pay FICA or Social Security and Medicare and unemployment taxes. So you may know this already, if you're, an, if you're an employee, you get your taxes taken out of your paycheck every two weeks or every month, and that is going to FICA or to, and I'm sh I should say and, not or, your, it, your taxes are going to FICA and to unemployment. If you are a 1099, worker, if you're an independent contractor, you pay those, you pay Social Security and Medicare taxes later when you file your taxes. Uh, back to Wikipedia, employees are protected from being fired without cause. And if fired or let go for other reasons, employees are entitled to unemployment benefits because you've just paid into them whereas independent contractors have neither protection nor entitlement. So if an independent contractor gets fired from their client, there is no such thing as receiving unemployment benefits. 
Employees are also entitled to receive overtime pay for work performed over the 40-hour-per-week standard, whereas independent contractors may work any number of hours, which may go far beyond the 40 hours per week, and there is no change in pay. Usually, as a 1099 worker, you set up an agreement with your client that says you either will pay an hourly rate or you will pay a monthly rate or you will pay a project-based rate. And so usually by that agreement, that is how you, that, you know, those are the terms of agreement that on, on how your, your client will pay you. Okay, so now that we understand a little bit of what an independent contractor is, Given that as an independent contractor, you're called, according to the IRS, a 1099 worker, and you file your income as a 1099-MISC for miscellaneous income, and that miscellaneous income is what you pay taxes on, and those taxes would comprise of Social Security and Medicare taxes, as well as a few other taxes that, that will be for down the road for those that want to know about what are the additional taxes a 1099 pays? Now, if you ever want to know why perhaps maybe I'm a little bit more interested in a 1099 employee and how I know the tax structure is because A, I am one, and B, I do my own taxes. So I'm a little bit more familiar with the flow of money in and out of a business. Okay, now let's get into Assembly Bill 5. I'm going to read from Ballotpedia and just describing what Assembly Bill 5 is, and then we'll eventually get to the classical economic theory, what classical economists would say about Assembly Bill 5. So Assembly Bill 5 established a three-factor test to decide a worker's status as an independent contractor. The three-factor test requires that first, the worker is free from the hiring company's control and direction in the performance of work. Let me restate that. The first is the worker is free from the hiring company's control and direction in the performance of work. The second test, the worker is doing work that is outside the company's usual course of business. And three, the worker is engaged in, a, in an established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed. So ultimately, what this means is that if you are setting yourself up to be an independent contractor, the relationship that your client has to have with you is that first, the client cannot have complete authority over what your work is. Okay, so let's say you are a graphic designer. If you are a graphic designer in which a company, let's call the company Google in this case, Google finds you on Upwork. And Google says, we would like for you to design ads for us so that we can run them all across the internet on our platform. If Google were to say, well, we want to hire you, Dennis, as a 1099 graphic designer for us, but you can only work 10 hours a week on this, then that is an example that violates the first 
factor. That is that the worker, me, is free from the from the company's control and direction in the performance of work. Okay. The second factor is that if Google says to me that Dennis, as a graphic, as a 1099 graphic designer, we also you must also work from our offices so we can watch you work and ensure that you are doing the work. Again, a violation of the second factor. The third factor is the worker is engaged in an established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed. This is really the factor that prevents a graphic designer, for instance, who maybe does not have any graphic design talent whatsoever. Essentially, this is a way to prevent fraud. So for instance, if I did not do any kind of graphic design work, but Google was paying me to do graphic design work, even though I don't do any of that stuff, maybe I'm a labor, maybe I'm a janitor and Google's paying me to do graphic design work. That is a violation of the third factor. As a 1099 worker, you have to be established in a particular trade that the client is asking for. So now we get to the California app-based drivers regulation initiative. That is the proper name for it, as you will see on the ballot. If you vote yes, then you are saying that app-based drivers will be classified as independent contractors. If you vote no, then Assembly Bill 5 stays in place, and essentially these app-based drivers will be considered employees. So a yes vote supports the ballot initiative, and a no vote opposes the ballot, ballot initiative. What else is on the ballot initiative that's included in this? Reading from Ballotpedia, the ballot measure would enact labor and wage policies specific to app-based drivers and companies, including a net earnings floor based on 120% of the state's or municipality's minimum wage and 30 cents per mile. It also has a limit to the hours permitted to work during a 24-hour period. There are health care subsidies, occupational accidental insurance, and accidental death insurance. The ballot measure would also require the companies to develop anti-discrimination and sexual har harassment policies. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I may actually dis even disagree with some of these ballot measures um, or some of the some of the things that this ballot measure is proposing. But what I cannot disagree with is the fact that now this is specifically the relationship that the client and the independent contractor are engaging in. Hence, therefore, if an independent contractor doesn't want to engage with the client, if an independent contractor doesn't want to work with Uber, knowing the fact that there's going to be a minimum wage, that they'll get paid 30 cents a mile, that there's a limit to the hours that they can work, then it is the choice of the independent contractor to say, I will pass and not be an Uber driver. I will not work for DoorDash or any of that or any of the other app-based companies. Okay, so the way that this ballot is being written up now is actually a good thing. It's not terrible. It's not great. It's good. It's good specifically in my eyes because now this is going to be very much a consensual agreement. 
And I'll be the first to tell you, too, that I think that in a lot of ways, Assembly Bill 5, the good thing about it is is it has <clears throat> it has created more urgency upon these app-based companies to enact better laws, to enact better policies, I should say, to enact better policies with their drivers. So that's a good thing. Okay, before we move on, let's just take a quick break. Let me thank one of my media partners, Thought Leadership Summits. Thought Leadership Summits is hosting a virtual event. It's their 16th annual event. And much like other events that were taking place in person, this one is moving online. And this is occurring over three days, July 28, July 30, and August 4th. If you wanted to understand how the entire ecosystem, the entire automotive ecosystem from the tier one level, the automaker down to the tier three level, that being the automotive retailer or the dealer. If you wanted to understand the entire process and the strategy and the innovation and the current climate of the customer experience and how data is used, what companies value one sort of data versus the other. This is a great conference to attend and to listen in. And the nice thing, again, with a lot of these physical in-person events that are now moving online, there really shouldn't be a reason other than cost, per se, for you to tune in and to understand what goes on through the ecosystem of the customer experience from the tier one level down to tier one to the tier three level visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash tls to learn more i will be giving away some tickets here soon so continue to stay tuned and subscribe and i will be giving away four tickets to attend this conference again visit wiscoweeklypod.com slash tls all right i think it is important now to understand one part of Assembly Bill 5, and this is something that may not be as obvious to you, and this is this is something that, I, this is how I think about it, and when I see Assembly Bill 5, one of the things, one of the long-term effects of Assembly Bill 5 is essentially the fact that this bill is enacting collective bargaining for app-based drivers okay essentially it's allowing app-based drivers to unionize and overwhelmingly in the state of california unions vote democrat and they vote for policies they vote for leaders who are democrats and hence that's why you will always see the good intentions of democrats who will say that we are pro-labor we are pro-worker and they understand that the long-term play is by allowing app-based drivers to effectively unionize that at some point they're going to call upon you and say, well, now we have this other bill and we need you to vote in favor of it. Okay, so this, so Assembly Bill 5 is not entirely just for the worker per se, but there is a bit of partisan going on with it. Okay, now that we understand that part, 
I have a book here, and you can check out the episode page if you would like to order it from Amazon. It's called Economics in One Lesson, The Shortest and Surest Way to Understand Basic Economics. It's written by Henry Hazlitt. And reading from this book, page 142, in which what it's talking about here is the is talking about unionization okay and essentially one of the downsides of forming unions and when i what i mentioned earlier about unions voting democrat that's not a bad thing okay i'm just that's that's just the reality of the situation but from an economic standpoint this is one of the things that unions do all right i'm reading here and this is a fairly long paragraph The most obvious case in which intimidation and force are used to put or keep the wages of a particular union above the real market worth of its members is that of a strike. Okay, so what this is saying is that as a way to intimidate the employer, as a way to force the employer to increase wages, to increase benefits, is that the union strikes. Reading from the book. A peaceful strike is possible. To the extent that it remains peaceful, it is a legitimate labor weapon, even though it is one that should be rarely used and as and it should be used as last resort. If workers as a body withhold their labor, they may bring a stubborn employer who has been underpaying them to the employer's senses. The employer may find that the employer is unable to replace these workers with workers equally good who are willing to accept the wage that the former have now rejected. So what this is saying is if an independent contractor, if enough of them collect together, if they then strike and if they are able to withhold their labor, that may bring an Uber, for instance, to finally realize, you know what? Maybe I cannot get enough of drivers to pay them the lowest wage possible in order for them to provide this service. That may be the stubbornness and maybe the good outcome of striking. Okay, reading from the book. But the moment workers have to use intimidation or violence to enforce their demands, The moment they use mass picketing to prevent any of the old workers from continuing at their jobs or to prevent the employer from hiring new permanent workers to take their places, their case becomes suspect. For the pickets are really being used, not primarily against the employer, but against other workers. Let me just read that one more time, and that will be further elaborated in the following uh, sentences here. The moment workers have to use intimidation or violence to enforce their demands, the moment they use mass picketing to prevent any of the old workers from continuing at their jobs or to prevent the employer from hiring new permanent workers to take their places, their case becomes suspect. For the pickets are really being used not primarily against the employer, but against other workers. Continuing on, 
these other workers are willing to take the jobs that the old employees have vacated and at the wages that the old employees now reject. The fact proves that the other alternatives open to the new workers are not as good as those as the old employees have refused, meaning that if there are new workers that come into play, if there are new app-based drivers that are saying, you know, I need the money, I want to come and drive for Uber, but all of a sudden all app-based drivers are essentially unionized, then that new driver may not be able to simply say, well, I'm okay to take the minimum pay and, and drive and earn money. For it's the old employees, the old workers, I should say, the old app-based drivers that are essentially harming any new drivers entering the field of being an app-based driver. Continuing on, if therefore the old employees succeed by forcing and preventing new workers from taking their place, they prevent these new workers from choosing the best alternative open to them and force them to take something worse. The strikers are therefore insisting on a position of privilege and are using force to maintain this privileged position against other workers. So what we have going on here then, according to a, class, a classical economist, if app-based drivers unionize and they essentially have collecting, collective bargaining rights, they can essentially strike and that strike could be so detrimental to the company itself for essentially suspending service to customers and consumers, but the strike could eventually get to the level where if there's any new worker that wants to enter, any new driver that wants to enter the space, they will, that new driver will not be permitted to do so because drivers have essentially unionized. And by uh, the moment you apply and you're accepted to become an app-based driver, you've essentially joined the union by default. And so all of a sudden, you cannot easily just work and drive people around and earn money. You have to agree and abide by the rules of the group. And if indeed you are willing to take less money because maybe you don't have a whole lot of expenses and maybe this is not a permanent job for you and you're just looking to make an additional income, well, you're not going to be allowed to do that according to the way that unions are formed and how unions through decades and decades of experience, what they do, what they, one of the things that as mentioned in this book that unions will do is it will take old the old employees or the old workers, okay, and old is not just by age itself. This could be the fact that if you are an experienced driver, and and maybe that couples with the fact that you are older, that you are willing to withhold wages from new workers because you're only looking out for yourself. And if you can hold the line and and get Uber to pay more for your benefits, well, it's great for you but it may not be great for someone who is wanting to drive as a first-time driver for one of the app-based companies. Now, there are m other reasons that a classical 
economist would argue why Assembly Bill 5 and the forming of a union or essentially the giving the giving app based drivers collective bargaining rights. There is another there's other things that classical economists would say about that. One of the things that they would say is also that by allowing unions to form that there is no added value given to the consumer that would justify the increase in wages to the worker and hence an increase in price to the consumer. For if a worker, if a driver was already getting paid a certain amount of money and that, and that money, that wage was increased, there's nothing to the consumer that would have suggested that there is added value to the consumer that a consumer would pay a higher price. Let me restate that. If I am a worker, if I'm a driver for Uber and my hourly rate, for instance, is $15 an hour and I'm demanding $25 an hour, well, if now the consumer goes, takes a 10-minute drive from the airport to home and let's say that drive is 20 bucks, and the consumer would pay $25 now for the exact same trip and there's been no value added to the consumer, then that $5 is nothing more than the equivalent of union dues. Because if $5 went to Uber, they could reinvest it in their company. Part of that investment could go to the drivers. And that's a different relationship than what Assembly Bill 5 does. Okay, so that is part one of the economic theory and specifically the classical economic theory as it would be applied to Assembly Bill 5 and app-based drivers. Stay tuned as we will do another episode or I will do another episode on the general theory of economics as told by John Maynard Keynes and Keynesian and and essentially how Keynesian economics would process Assembly Bill 5. Great. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wisco Weekly. Do me a favor, please. I would really appreciate this. Please take the time, leave a comment, leave a review on Apple If you're not able to leave a review because it's too much work, I understand that. I get it. I'm I'm very much the type of person that I don't leave reviews. I will be the first person, though, that will go out of my way to compliment someone, but that's just me. So if you're not able to leave a review and a rating on specifically Apple, then do me a favor, please. Share this episode with someone because... One of the reasons why I do this podcast is to help the voting public. I think it is abundantly clear these days that we need to ensure that if we want to have any kind of future say in our republic, then you must vote. 
you must vote. That is why I want to not be partisan about Assembly Bill 5, that I want to paint two sides of the aisle, the classical economic theory side and the Keynesian economic theory side. So stay tuned for that. As we end every episode, cheers. Prost, Lachaim, Kipis, Nastravi, Salu, Kampai, Mabruk, Tutsins, Gambe, Yamas, Nastarovie, Vo, Salute to the customer experience. Wisco Weekly listeners, thank you for tuning in with us to another hopefully great episode. Dennis and I are always grateful to have you along for our journey. Speaking of our journey, we've had the last few years, we've seen a lot of evolution with our show and in the industry. Recently, we've been able to attend a couple inspirational events. One of those was Women in Automotive, where we met a lot of uh, people who have inspired us to continue revolutionizing this mobility movement and solutions. If you are enjoying our show, please subscribe to our email list at wiscoweeklypod.com. We want to continue to bring you great content and can give you those updates if you subscribe to the email list. Please go to wiscoweeklypod.com. We look forward to connecting again soon. Yeah.